Hello, friends. Welcome to season three of Off the Beaten Podcast, a podcast about the city of Chicago and its people. This is where you will hear discussion with the amazing people who make this city unique. I'm your host, Dion McGill, a lifelong Chicagoan, former public school educator, sometimes activist, sometimes jujitsu taro, and all the time caffeine fiend. Welcome if this is your first time, and welcome back if you are a tried and true friend of the podcast. I'm so happy you came back for more. Before I introduce my first guest for this third season of the podcast, I have to start with some kudos. First, I want to send out a huge thank you to Miss Veva Soto. Veva is a supporter of the pod and actually went on over to the OTBP Buy Me A Coffee page and bought me five cups of coffee. Thank you so much, Veva. Every cent donated to the podcast goes back to the podcast. And while I don't talk about it often, uh, this is a fully self-financed venture. Everything from the microphones to the cables to the hosting fees to marketing materials, swag, everything is funded out of pocket. And while I don't do this as a get rich venture, I would love to be blessed to get to a point where this pod becomes self-supporting. And if I was able to put a few bucks in my own pocket in the meantime, oh, that would be awesome as well. But thank you, Veva. I appreciate you immensely. And if you'd like to help support the pod, go on over to buymeacoffee.com slash off the beaten podcast. Every dollar counts and you will get your very own shout out on a future episode. Also, thank you to not too distant future Londoner who left us a review and a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. About 30% of my listeners listen via Apple Podcasts. So if you would be so kind as to leave a rate and review, I would love it. But in addition to giving me five stars, not too distant future Londoner went on to say, I love off the beaten podcast. Host Dion is an engaging interviewer and has so many stories himself. His enthusiasm for conversation is contagious. The podcast feels like I'm eavesdropping on a fascinating conversation in a crowded cafe. The guests are so varied and his voice is just perfect. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Not too distant future Londoner. I love you. I appreciate you. And please let me tell you directly. COVID has been rough. It has sucked a lot out of me. And to hear your kind words, look, real talk. There have been moments when I was like, you know what? Let's just wrap it up, at least for now. Um, And your comments have kept me going. I appreciate you and thank you for listening. I hope you'll continue to listen and I will continue to work to add value to this podcast and make it the best dang Chicago podcast there is. Yes, I just used the word dang. That was awesome. All right. And now that I got that out of the way, please allow me to introduce you to today's guest. It's my mom. (laughs) While working on season two of the pod, my Napod Pomo journey down Western Avenue, I I talked a lot about Chicago history. While working on those episodes, I've also been working on my family tree. Additionally, I am a former history teacher, so I'm always intrigued about history. So I thought who best to ask than my own mother about how Chicago has changed over time. I'm happy to announce as well that my mother turns 80 years old on this upcoming Easter, April 4th, 2021. So I couldn't think of a more perfect time for her to to tell at least a portion of her story. Our entire conversation was about 90 minutes, uh, and it was a little challenging at times to guide the conversation, so this is actually only one portion of the conversation. I'll be releasing at least one additional portion of the conversation, uh, but 
after listening, either hit me up on social media or email or on the phone. All the information is in the, in the episode notes. And let me know if you'd like to hear more of this conversation immediately or if you'd like for me to wait a while. I would love to hear the feedback and, uh, and I would definitely take it into consideration. Final note, this conversation was recorded a while ago. It was actually prior to the election, just to give you a frame of reference for when we refer to current events and etc. Alrighty, and without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. All right. All right. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Okay. Dion. I'm Willery McGill, as you know, your mother. Uh, <laughs> okay. I I live in Elsa. It's a pleasure to meet you. Hi. And and it's a pleasure to be here. All right. Uh it is a it, it is a pleasure to be here. And it's a beautiful day. It is. It is yes. a beautiful day. Saturday morning. So I wanted you so we've been so I've been uh doing some work and exploring on a family tree. And that's got us kind of talking more about history and such. So I have this podcast, which you just found out about. I'm five star, as I was told by my grandniece. Yes. Right? So five star. <laughs> five star is exciting. And that's something to be proud about. It's and good. And I'm I'm proud for you. Well, thank you. Yes. Just, just had my one year anniversary, so it's good. Um, and I wanted to get you on and to talk about Chicago history a little bit. Because the podcast is about Chicago. It's really just about Chicago and the people. And so I thought this, since I've been kind of exploring the past anyway with the family tree, this would be a perfect opportunity to talk about the history of Chicago. And you've been here since 1967. Correct. How many years is that? My math is bad. Seven, seven, wow. seven, eight, seven, nine, seven, oh, seven, well, it's about 50, 53 years. 53 years. That's a long Correct. time. Okay. All right. I had to long count on my time. fingers. It's sad. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. I just want, yeah. So I want to talk just a little bit about kind of like your experiences since you since here, right? So you came to Chicago in 1967. Came in 1967, correct? Okay. So where were you living prior to that? Like where? Because you're not from Chicago originally. No. So where where'd you come? I mean, very. I guess originally. I guess very few people actually are. So where'd you where'd you come from originally? I came to Chicago. From Leesville, Louisiana. My father, my stepfather, was stationed at Fort Polk, and, uh, Louisiana. That's a military base. And I lived there with my parents. Okay. Okay. They left. He was transferred to Alaska. Okay. Uh, Fairbanks at, I think it was Ladd Air Force Base. So, therefore... I stayed in uh, Louisiana because I was working at a place called Redwood Restaurant at that time. And then I, uh, you know how it is, if you find out about more money back there, you'd switch. So I did. I switched to a place, a restaurant, Willie's Drive-In, where I was a waitress and also where I met your father. Okay. He was stationed at uh, Fort Pope, Louisiana, and uh, he he was from Chicago. And when he came back to Chicago, he asked me if he sent for me, would I come? Mm-hmm. At this time, we were dating. 
And I told him, well, I'm afraid of Chicago because of the of Speck killing those eight nurses. And you're talking about Richard Speck. Richard Speck <laughs> in 1966 okay. had killed eight nurses. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, and I was afraid to come to Chicago. Okay. Okay. Because I felt that between that and all the things I had heard, uh, history about Chicago, like uh, Al Capone and different things, I was afraid to come. Okay. But he said, well, it's not as that bad. He says it's bad, but it's not that bad. (laughs) So. Okay. He said, if I send for you, will you come? And I said, I would. All right. So if you send for me, I'll come to Chicago. So how old are you at this time? I had to be about uh tw- how old was I? About 24. Okay. All right. And I I came I came to Chicago. I rode the Greyhound bus. All right. I rode a Greyhound bus to Chicago. And question, if you remember, how much did it cost? I'm uncertain of that. That's okay. I'm just well, yeah, because I wished I could remember that. I imagine it costs like ten dollars. I don't. I imagine huh? it costs like ten dollars. Ten dollars <laughs> is what it costs. No, I imagine it costs like ten dollars. No, I think it costs a little more than that to come from Louisiana to Chicago. But I know one thing: it was a long, tiring ride. Yeah. And I was, I remember, uh, glad to get closer and closer because it was tiring. So okay, so you're. Your parents go to Alaska. My parents went to Alaska. And you stayed in Louisiana. And I stayed in Louisiana. So here's my question. So here's a question. Mm-hmm. What was Louisiana like in, in the 60s? Because you're talking the South. I'm talking South. You're right. So what was that like? Well, Louisiana was, uh, it was segregated, as you know, okay. at that time. They had uh, black restaurants, not many in Leesville. Actually, in Leesville, there was only one black restaurant, and that was Willie's Drive-In. Willie had a a restaurant. They called a drive-in, but actually, you do. You drive in, you park, you go in. Okay. And you eat soul food. Right. That's what Willie sold. But they did also... Fast food like hamburgers and uh, French fries, hot dogs. But before I went to Willie's restaurant, his drive-in, I worked at the Redwood restaurant. The Redwood restaurant was associated with the motel. And I worked in the restaurant in the kitchen. And that's where I got my experience kind of cooking uh, fast food. Because I worked there... And they sold all kind of stuff. They sold uh, hamburgers and french fries. I worked at that place from 2 until 10. And I made $50 a week. Oh, God. Okay. So $50 a week was okay for paying my rent and taking care of my son, Michael. It was okay. But it wasn't enough if... I wanted to do anything else. Right. So then I started working at Jim's Fine Food. I worked at Willie's Rest, I mean, at uh, the Redwood Restaurant from 2 to 10. And I worked at Jim's Fine Foods from 6 a.m. until 2. Okay. So therefore, 
Mr. Chris at the Redwood restaurant. I told him I had another job also, and he gave me 15 minutes to get from Jim's Fine Food to his restaurant, and he says, and I won't deduct anything out of your 50. So $50 at that time, it was cash. Everybody gave you cash. It wasn't a check or anything like that. They just give you $50 at the end of the week. So I wanted to make $100 so that I would have money to do other things with. Okay. Yeah. So I made $100 a week rather than from the two jobs. Right. And I did that until I came to Chicago. Okay. So then you meet Rufus McGill. I met Rufus McGill at Willie's Drive-In. Okay. And he says, you should come with me to Chicago. Not at that particular time. Okay. He came to the restaurant. The next time he came to the restaurant, he came by himself. This first time I met him, he was with a lady. (laughs) That sounds about right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And he asked me for my phone number, and I refused. Because I said, well, you... Aren't you with your wife? And he said, no, I'm with a lady that I asked out to dinner. Okay. And he said, "Uh, but I want your phone number if you will give it to me. So I thought about it and I said, well, give me your number. He says, well, I'm at, I'm stationed at the base. He says, so it's going to be hard for you to get in touch with me. So, however, I told him, well, I got to think about it. So... He said, well, do you work here all the time? I said, all the time. So then the next time he came by himself and he ordered food and he asked me again for this phone number. So I gave it to him. Okay. And then we started dating. Okay. When he was transferred from, uh, no, he wasn't transferred. He he had did his time. Mm -hmm. And so when he was leaving, he was going to come back to Chicago because Chicago was his home. And he asked me if he sent for me, would I come? And I told him I would. If you send for me, I will come. So I didn't bring Michael because, well, I lived in a a little house next to a lady I call Ma Birder. Ma Birder was a very nice person. And her and uh, her husband, uh, I can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. I remember Malberta, but Malberta and uh, her husband. Actually, I tell you, I lived in a place that wasn't so good. And so Mr. Buddy, that was Malberta's uh, husband. Okay. He built me a house next to Malberta because Malberta kept Michael for me while I worked. Okay. And he built me. He came and knocked on my door one day and he says, you know, he says, Malberta wants to know if I build you a house next to hers, would you come and live there? And I said, oh, I would be so happy. So I did. That's the lady that I left Michael with until I came to Chicago Mm -hmm. because I wanted to come and kind of look things over before I brought him. Malberta was like, a very nice lady. Actually, she was like my best friend. She was about my age that I am now. She was 79 or 80, but in better shape than I am mm-hmm. because she walked everywhere she went, all over Leesville. 
She could walk and go get things, shop for groceries. But if she had a lot of groceries, then she would get a cab. So, all right. So then you come to Chicago. I came to Chicago on the Greyhound bus. So where did you live? When When I first came to Chicago, Rufus met me at the bus station and we, he told me, we're going to stay with my sister until we get a place. Okay. So I did. I stayed with his sister. She lived on 72nd and Ridgeland. Okay. Which was a very nice neighborhood. And it was nice. Liked it. Okay. okay. She worked at the Sheraton of Chicago cleaning rooms, 505 Michigan Avenue. That's where she worked. Okay. So she lived in Jackson Park then? 72nd and Ridgeland. Yeah. I think the Jackson Park area. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And she worked downtown. She had been living there quite a while. And she worked downtown. She took the L to 505 uh, North Michigan for the Sheraton of Chicago every morning. And actually, and Melvin, Rufus's brother, worked in the restaurant there, 505 North Michigan. Okay. So to make a long story short, your father, he worked at Alberta Culver. What is that? Alberta uh, Culver is a place. In fact, I'm sure there, it's a big company. It was at that time where they make hair oil. Oh, okay. They make all kind of greases and, if I'm not mistaken, uh, shampoos and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. But in his spare time, he also worked at the Sheraton of Chicago parking cars. So everybody worked at the Sheraton. Yeah. So now I'm I'm going to the Sheraton. Okay. Because he when he came home one night, he told me, he says, I talked to Tony. Tony needs a cashier in the parking garage from 11 uh, p.m. until 7 a.m. Okay. He says, I talked to him and I told him, that you had just came here and I wanted you to come and talk to him about the job. So I said, okay. So Nell, Rufus's sister, mm-hmm. she was, she told me, well, she, she knew about, she heard. So she told me, said, when you take the L tomorrow, she told me how to get to the L station. Mm-hmm. When I got to the L station, she told me, at uh, 63rd and Stony, She told me all about the stops. Mm-hmm. And she said, don't embarrass yourself by getting on the wrong side when the L is getting ready to get at your stop. She told me it, it stops on your left. Okay. Don't be at the right. Get to the left. Okay. Because you're going now to 505. North Michigan. North Michigan. Lower Michigan. Okay. So when the L stops, she said, now remember when you get off, you got to go through the tunnel. Okay. So I have a question. Could black people be guests at the Sheraton at this time? Yes. Black people could be guests because I tell you one person that I met, no, two people uh, at this time, Chicago was the, the convention center where all conventions were held in Chicago. Uh, was that at McCormick Place? McCormick 
Yeah, McCormick. Yeah, Place. at McCormick Place. Because McCormick Place exists at this time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Chicago at that time was a convention center. Okay. So well, it still is. They have hundreds of conventions every year. But it wasn't like. Oh, was, they were bigger then. Because yes. you had the Democratic National Convention that next year in 68. And yeah, you had huge. Yeah, they were. It was very huge then. Mm-hmm. So. You were saying two guests you met. Two guests that I met in the parking garage. I was, like I said, cashiering. I read, I met Reverend Martin Luther King. And I also met Rab- Reverend Abernathy. Abernathy. Uh-huh. Uh, he and Martin Luther King were there for a convention. I've actually met Abernathy's daughter. Did you? Yeah, that been two years ago. She she works, so they have the MLK Center, and she works. Yeah, uh, at the MLK Center. Yeah, yeah, they do they do like a lot of training. So I actually went to a training of theirs. I've never and been to the MLK Center. I don't. I mean, I'm sure they have an office, but they do. It's the MLK Center for Nonviolence and and something. I can't think of the full name. But yeah, his daughter works there because she, she, yeah, she was talking about her father and because he spent a lot, he spent a lot of time with MLK. Huh? They were really close. He spent oh, a lot of yeah. Time together. Yeah. Well, I got a chance to meet him this one particular night with him and Reverend Martin Luther King. They were coming to the Sheraton because of a convention. Yeah. I briefly got a chance in fact i came out from behind the counter to, <laughs> to to just get to meet him yeah but and i just briefly because people were crowding around him i'm sure in the garage and i you know in the little mm-hmm. lobby there where they were going upstairs mm-hmm. and i said reverend martin luther king and he reached over and he shook my hand. He, he had to reach over he had to people. reach over people. <laughs> so he did. And he shook my hand. And when I looked, I saw Reverend Abernathy. But I didn't get to shake his hand, but I saw him. Yeah. And because, like I said, there was a lot of people. Yeah. And they were all going up to their rooms. So okay. that's how I know it wasn't segregated uh, up the stairs. But er I don't really. So, yeah, let's. So tell me a little bit. So you're 67, like in Chicago. Right. So you had because I, I, you know, I used to teach history. obviously. So 66, you had the march here. So MLK had been here a year earlier for his march here in the city, um, which actually I think was in Cicero. Right. Was that was that the march? You, they had Cicero, problems in Cicero. Uh, Marquette Park, one of the two. That's because. That's when he got hit with the brick, was in 66. Yeah. It's right, because he was like, he said, Chicago has got some problems. You know. Chicago had problems. Had problems. But but he was nonviolent. Yeah, well. He yeah. always tried to preach about nonviolence, but believe me, these people, when they had that Marquette Park problem, it was, it was violent. Yeah, it was very. And yeah. also in Cicero. Yeah. So... What so when you get here, what were your first impressions? I'm I'm very interested in so what were your first impressions? And then like was the the segregation very like palpable in Chicago or was it something like could did you go into did you go shopping downtown? No. Why not? I didn't. I didn't go shopping downtown. Uh, mostly I tried to shop. Well, I worked 
downtown, mm-hmm. uh, lower Michigan. But you know what? I was kind of afraid of Chicago. So when I would get off of work, I'd go straight to the L, <laughs> go straight go home. home. Okay. So I did not. Yeah. In fact, I didn't too much go. I don't remember too much about going out of the neighborhood. I remember they were really having a problem. Cicero, really, you had to be very skeptical of Cicero. Cicero definitely didn't want any black people in their little town, in their town, yeah, Cicero, absolutely. Illinois. But that wasn't the only one. I mean, that wasn't the only part of the city like that, though. No. No, no, no. Uh, the city itself. Right. Cause- but you know what? The city, to me, was still a better place than it might be now. I know when I came, people would talk about Blackstone Rangers. They were. They would say, you know, it's black against black rather than. I remember somebody told me it's more black against black here than it is white against black. Mm-hmm. So, but things, some things, some places, white people just didn't accept you. But you were accepted. I'll just come back from the microphone a little bit. Oh. No, you just try to stay like a fist away because you're, you're, you're getting a little popping. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Am I okay? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, where was my... Uh, you are talking about the Blackstone Rangers. Oh, yeah. They told me about the, the Blackstone Rangers mm-hmm. and where we had moved from 72nd and Ridgeland to 67th and Marquette. Okay. And which is right up the street from where we are now. Yeah. We're basically at 64th And that kind of was uh Blackstone Ranger territory and Blackstone Rangers were. But you know, to to uh, make a, lo- a long story short about that, the Blackstone Rangers really didn't just bother people. Mm. I mean, they bothered people that were associated with other gangs. Mm. And things like that. And the reason I say that is because when I lived on 67th and Marquette, I still had to go to Stony, walk to Stony when I was Stony working Island. downtown, walk to Stony Island mm-hmm. to take the bus to 63rd and Stony okay. to, to the L. Never had a problem. People that said, you know, that's, you know, the Blackstone Rangers, but the I never had a problem. Yeah. I never got bothered by any Blackstone Rangers or, or anybody else. I guess I was just, I was blessed. Yeah. I never had a problem. Even when I got on the L, I tell you what I would do when I get on the L, though. At that time, they had a conductor. Okay, they always had a conductor. I got a train. I would always get on with the conductor. And I would say, when you are going to the next train. Can I follow you? So I won't have to be by myself. And the conductor would say, yes. I never had a conductor refuse me. And I always ask, every time I got on that train at night, if I could follow the conductor to whatever train you're going to, so I won't be by, because I was scared. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the conductor would say, well, I'm going to stay on this train. I'll stay on this train with you. And I would say, oh, thank you, because I'm afraid. <laughs> so you, so from there, where do you go? Like, So eventually you end up working for the CTA. So I'm not did, working for the CTA. Well, well, eventually you do. 
And so how do you get, how do you get there? Okay, I went to several little jobs uh, when I came here. Like I was at five oh five North Michigan. I really didn't like that because of having to work that that time of night. And Rufus was already there working. So then I was on my own to get downtown every night. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't like that. So I kept moving from job to job to get a day job. Mm -hmm. I even went as far as Franklin Park for, for a day job. Okay. And then finally, I met this lady. And actually, she was a friend of Rufus's sister. And Rufus's sister, Nail had told her, says, well, you know what? I'm going to take you over to uh, my sister-in-law's because she's looking for another job. This lady was a bus driver for CTA, and that's how I got to CTA. That was in 1976. Okay. And she had, so Nell brought her over, and she told me that she worked for CTA. And I said, okay. She said, and I'm a, I'm a bus operator. And I said, oh, well, you know, in my head, I was thinking, I really don't want to do that. But I said, okay. She said, and she told me where the employment office was. Mm -hmm. She said, they're hiring. And she said, Nail told me you would be interested in a job with the Chicago Transit. I told her, yeah, I'm looking for a day job. Mm -hmm. Well, I was already working a day job at Franklin Park. I had a little old raggedy Ford. Uh, my Ford was so raggedy until when you looked down, you could see the expressway <laughs> on some of it. It was just a raggedy <laughs> old car, but you know what? It was dependable yeah. until the big snow. So to make a long story short, I did go to the CTA. I, uh, went, what was your first position in CTA to, to apply for a job and, uh, they said, well, we were hiring for bus operators, but right now we're hiring for maintenance workers. Okay. And I says, well, what does a maintenance worker do? She says, well, a maintenance worker uh, drives the bus, takes it through the wash rack, check the oil, mm -hmm. and make sure that it's washed. She said, and you clean, you sweep the bus out to the front and get all the garbage. No, you sweep everything to the back. And she says, then you're going to have a, a big vacuum mm -hmm. that's going to swoop everything out of there. But you got to sweep it to the back steps. And I say, and change the oil? She said, yes, you have to change the oil, check the uh, washer fluid. She says, you have to check everything and fuel it. Yeah. You fuel it with diesel. I said, okay. She said, you think you could, you could handle it? I said, oh, yeah, I could do it. So somebody else went with me. I don't remember exactly who. Mm -hmm. Somebody went with me that day. And they said, you both want a job? And the other lady, I don't know who it was. That's okay. But anyway, you know who, who I really think it was now? It was Pee Wee. And she said, no, I can't. I can't do it. I think it was her. But whoever it was said, no, I can't do that. So I said, I'll try it. Yeah, I want it. And I wanted to know what is the pay. She said, the starting pay is $6.75. <laughs> An hour? Yes. Jesus. 6 75 Jesus. 
And she say, after 90 days, you get a raise. Of how much? Uh, it was like $3. Uh, so you get a $3 raise. In other words, after 90 days, you have insurance, you got your benefits, and you're making, uh, you're making just nine, about, $10, $10 an, an hour. hour. You're making $10 an hour from six seventy five, And I said, oh, I'll take it. Because I wasn't making that much from the other jobs that I was work had okay. been on. I was making like $5. Oh, I think uh, <laughs> actually when I worked at 505 North Michigan, I was making five. Mm-mm. And I never went more. I think I went less with Ruby's Candy. Yeah. They were a subsidiary of Curtis. So I went less. Okay. But it was a day job at Franklin Park. But look how far I had to go. Right. So I told him I would take that job. Okay. So I took it. Driving those buses through the wash rack. I was in training for 90 days. Right. And I learned how to drive the bus, how to drive it through the wash rack. You get out and you check the oil. Yeah. You make sure it's got washer fluid and you make sure you drive it to the wash rack and you park it and you go get another. You had to you had to uh, drive 26 buses through the wash rack to make the quota. Okay. And if you didn't drive those 26 buses through the wash rack, it was like they felt you either couldn't do the job and if you had been there 90 days, now you're going to get rolled up. Right. Because that's what you had to do every night. And I did it. So how many years did you do that job? I did that job for nine months. And what you had to do, they posted different jobs. I kept looking at the board because they told me, look at the board if you want another job. Look at the board. So I kept going to the board, but it wasn't anything. Or if it was different jobs, I didn't have any college so I had to wait until something came up because they would tell you person with one year of college or two years of college. And then I found where they needed a clerk, someone that was able to do time cards, read time cards. You were going to be in training for 30 days and then they were going to give you a test and that job was going to whoop you up to about $12 or $13. And it was Monday through Friday with the weekends off. By the way, when I was driving the buses through the wash rack, it was every other weekend with one day through the week. So now I'm going to be off weekends. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to put in for this job. And I did. I put in for it. I prayed hard that I was going to get it so I went to work one day and they called me from down at the merchandise mart and they told me that I had been accepted to come for an interview and my boss would let me know when. Bob Kirks was my my boss and he was a very nice man. So he came in that day and said, you know what? You got it. I said, well, they didn't say I got it. I said, they said, come for an interview. He says, well, you know what? He says, I talked to the people around the garage. He says, they say you're a good servicer. That's what the job I had was called, servicer. You servicing buses. You're a good servicer with no days off. He says, you're going to get it. He says, you're going to get the job. Okay. And I did. And so how, how long did you end up working for CTA? I worked for CTA 
26 and a half years. I was going to do 30. And then one day when I was at work, I had a bad phone call from my mother. And my mother told me that my stepfather was very sick. He had prostate cancer as well as a dementia. And I didn't know that he had been been sick. And she says, uh, so if you want to see him, you you should come. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So I, uh, I talked to, I knew I was going to go. So I talked to, by now, Bob Kirks is dead. He died. He had a heart attack. So now I have another uh, gentleman. That's my boss. A guy that we used to serve as buses together. His name was Steve Wojnicki. So I had called Steve Wojnicki and I told him I need to talk to him. So he came to the garage and I told him, listen, I told him what happened. My mother had called me. I said, so I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to retire. I was going to go for 30, but now I have 26 and a half. I says, I'm either going to retire or I, I said, but if I don't retire, I know I can only be gone 30 days because after 30 days, they give your day job to someone and you might have to go nights or be a traveling clerk, Mm -hmm. but you lose your day job because there's many people waiting on your day job. So he said, well, you know, he says, why don't you go downtown and talk to the people in retirement department, find out what you need to know and make your decision. He says, and uh, I'm going to send you in the, in the company truck with, with somebody. So the person that he sent me with drove us into the loop and we went to uh, the merchandise mart. And I found out how much I would get if I retired before my 30. And they said, it's really not that much of a difference. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. Because going for 30 or retiring, and I, I, I retired. All right. And there you have it. Man, I was so excited to get this conversation out. My mom is going to be tickled pink when she hears it. And please let me know what you think. Let me know if you want to hear more. I feel like interviewing my own mom is a little self-indulgent. But as I told a colleague recently, if we can't abuse the little power we have, what good is it? Also, in the focus of this pod, I think Willerine McGill is a perfect person to talk with because she did something amazingly epic in the course of Chicago history. She had me and my siblings, Michael and Trevette, and that's pretty dang awesome. So uh, she'll likely listen to this prior to her birthday. So mom, please allow me to wish you a very happy birthday. I love you very much and thank you for everything. I wouldn't be who I am and where I am without you. All right. And so thank you all for listening. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode, please check me out on social media, on Instagram at off the beaten podcast, on Twitter at off the beaten pod at facebook.com slash off the beaten podcast. Also, please share this with your favorite Chicagoan. This podcast is for those Chicago people who like to engage with new places 
fresh faces, and who want to discover more of the city outside their own hood. Now, if you don't live in Chicago, that's okay too. There's, there's always going to be something here for you as well because we're diving into people and personalities and stories. And a lot of the knowledge that is dropped will be universal. I can't wait for you to hear some of the guests that I've already interviewed uh, for season three. I'm just so, I'm so excited. So, uh, Yes, please let the people around you, especially Chicagoans, let them know that this pod is talking about the flavor that is Chicago and is definitely something they want to hear. And that's that. From Woodlawn, Chicago to wherever you are, thank you for listening. Be good, do good, and I'll see you next time. Peace.